That's pathetic. How are you? It's much better. It's great to be back with you. I feel the love. I love you too. You're all awesome, even though you live in the coldest place. It's awesome. And I have loved being with the women over the last few days. We've had a great time at Sparkle and uh, great to see the growth. Uh, just a sign of health when things are growing that way and excited for all that comes. You're going to have to get a bigger building for all the people that God wants you still to reach and to connect with. But I'm really thrilled that the guys are in the house this morning. Can I hear some testosterone? Some ooh. Thank you. We're glad you're back, ma'am. We, uh, we missed you. We're better together. And so we're glad you're here and, uh, and we're glad you're in the house this morning and already had great services this weekend. And we brought some resources from uh, the UK that I brought out here and pretty much the girls have bought out everything. There's a few things left. And uh, uh, one thing I want to just highlight is this book because I just want to say, guys, okay, I know I'm a chick, but I actually know some stuff that's good for guys as well, okay? So you're not, you don't have to go and ask for things in a paper a bag because you embarrassed you bought a book written by a girl, okay? Girls have good stuff to say too, don't we girls? Okay, thank you. And so this book, Turnaround God, is the one that I just wrote. And actually, there's a story, a God story behind this. I was not intending on writing it. And, uh, and actually, out of the blue, a publisher in America rang me, Thomas Nelson, and they said, um, you don't know us, but we've heard of you. And we believe there's a book you're supposed to write. And we actually even believe we know the title of the book you're supposed to write. And then they went on and told me that they would like me to write a book called Turnaround God. And somehow they'd found a message I preached once in my home church on the YouTube and it was called Turnaround God. And they're like, that is a book that America needs to hear. And so I was like, that's a great idea. That's easy for you to say. That was one message on YouTube, not 12 chapters, people. So I said, when do I have to write it by? And they said, we would like it in, in six weeks time. So when I tell you this book is a miracle, it is a miracle sign and a flipping wonder because I wrote it in six weeks myself. Uh, most of it on a tour bus where I was touring with my dear friend Natalie. But the message in it is that God can turn anything around. And the fact is that so often we settle for where we are now when God has something more. And I want to say to some of you in the room, you think that your lot in life is what you're doing now, your job you're doing now, your postcode, your zip code, what you're doing now. You're kind of like, I know what my life looks like. You know what? God is already writing more chapters for your life right now. He already has things for you to do. Do not think that you have arrived knowing what you're called to do. Because when you do that, you're going to scary territory with God. Because that's what, that's what you know, Moses tried. And that's what Sarah and Abraham said. And if you don't want to have a baby at age 100, I suggest that you begin to realize that God may have some other things for you to do. I'm just saying, because when you think you're all done, God might shock you in a way that you're like, I wish I'd not said that to God. And so there's more things for us to do. So God wants to turn things around. All right, everybody stand to your feet. You're way too comfortable. You're way too laid back. Some of you are like latte happy, had a coffee, just chilling in your chair. Look, I came all the way from England to speak to you. So we're going to have a little bit of movement right now. Okay. So I just want you to sit down right now if you would say uh, God is not for you. Awesome. I want you to sit down right now if you think that God is a bad father. Awesome. I want you to sit down right now if you think that God does not know what he's doing. 
amazing. Now in that all of you are still standing, you've all just agreed because God's a good God, God's a good father and God knows what he's doing. You've all just agreed to be changed, to be challenged and to have your butt kicked a little bit by the word of God this morning. So Father, we thank you right now as we stand in your presence that your word is there to change us. It's not there to entertain us. It's not there to just stroke us and make us feel better about ourselves. It's there to mobilize the church. It's there to make us move forward, to be better, to be stronger. And so God, I pray this morning that we would open our hearts to you, that we'd be willing to change, that we'd be willing to learn because in our changing, God, there is our growth, there is our future, there is our breakthrough. So I pray for open hearts and open minds this morning to receive your word and all God's people said, amen. Now high five three people and you can take your seats. Okay, so you heard just then when you were high-fiving, did you just hear the volume in the room? Did you just hear that? When you're all high-fiving, you're like, hey, you're a noisy crowd, okay? I'm just letting you know that that's what I want in the Word. Okay, now some of you might not be used to that because you're polite. Okay, now I come from the polite English country, okay, where we have manners, supposedly, and we have etiquette, and we speak English. By the way, I don't have an accent. Y'all have an accent. I speak the Queen's English. You have a version of my language. And so, if I say a word this morning, and you're like, that's not the right word. Yes, it is the right word, people, because it began in my country, okay? So all I'm saying is, when I prepare a meal for the church, when I go and I study, and I ask God to give me food for the church, just like when I give food to my children at home, I expect around the table there to be some mm-hmm, some good, some thank you, some that's good. It's the same in God's house. Why? Because when you acknowledge that you're taking something in, your head catches up and you go, aha, I'm not just going to let that thought pass me by. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to pull it in. So sometimes you have to open your mouth and go, Yes. Now I know that you are all sports crazy in this part of the world. So don't you sit there like you have no volume in your body to respond to things that you like. Because if this was a Vikings game, you would all be going crazy right now, okay? So I am from Europe, which is where Vikings originated from. So for that, for that reason alone, there's got to be some banter in the room, some feedback in the room. And I say that not because I'm trying to force you to be uncomfortable, but I believe you've got to find your voice. You've got to say yes and amen to some stuff so that your heart responds and your head responds. And, and you know what? Once you've done it for a few weeks, you know what you'll find? It comes really natural. Because amen in the Word of God and amen in the, the food that God has for you is how He designed you to be. He designed you to be, yeah, that's good, that's, that's good, okay? So if the person next to you through this next 25 minutes says nothing, it is your job to nudge them in the ribs and say, you have not opened your mouth yet. Even if it's boo, get off, I don't care. I'll take the negative or the positive just to know you're alive. Is that good? Thank you. All right. I love speaking at conferences. That was great. Sparkle was awesome, 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 awesome. But 
I am a local church girl. I love the local church. I live for the local church. And because of that, and because you now have invited me back twice, you didn't understand what you were doing when you invited me back twice, but what you were doing was saying, the first date went well, so now we're gonna be connected. Now, when people ask me about the second time, I now assume that we're all good, that we got over the awkward thing of the English relative landing in your country, and now we can be family, so now we can get real. Now, I like it when we can get real because I'm a local church builder, and so we're going to talk about some stuff that we all know goes on in the local church, but we'd rather not talk about it. Because I want us to have a message this morning that actually is going to land where you live. Not something that's going to entertain you, not something that's going to make you go, ooh, ah, but something that's going to say, ouch, yeah, okay, I see that, I get that. And I love the local church, okay? I love it. You know, I've lived my whole life in the same local church. Hello? I am 41 years of age and I have, since I was born, been in the church and the same church and I've grown up in the church. And so I have tried to leave the church several times, but it's not worked out. God has sent me right back. I have been in that church, so I know what it is to stick in one place, to be planted in the house. I've seen the house flourish my life. I've seen God's house flourish my children's life. I've seen God bring great things to me because I've been in the house. I understand that Psalm 92, verse 13, planted in the house you flourish. I understand that Psalm 84, verse 10, rather be a doorkeeper in the house of light. I understand Psalm 69, verse 9, zeal for your house consumes me. The first book I ever wrote was called Consumer or Consumed because I realised many people came to church with a shopping list of needs and God challenged me to say, do not be a consumer in my house, but come consumed for my house so you will build it rather than come for what you can get from it. So I say all that to let you know I love the local church. But for the next 20 minutes, I want to talk to you about the part of the local church I do not love. That deserved a ooh. Yes, I'm going to talk to you about the part of the church I don't like. I really don't like it. I wish it wasn't this way. And if I think I don't like it and I'm the pastor of a church, my, my, my guess is that you're probably not going to like this part of the church either. So why don't we talk about the parts of the church we don't like so that when we hit something that we don't like, we've all have language to understand. No, we don't like it, but we're not going to leave because of it. We're actually going to talk about the good and the bad. We're actually going to figure out in the seasons that we don't like how to see the purpose in them and the reason God designed it that way so that we stay planted and we don't uproot because we don't like this part of church. I don't like this part of church either. And the best way for me to describe probably this part of church is for me to describe the part of the gym that I don't like because the two are very similar. So a little while ago, I love to run. I run every single day. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, I have a treadmill at home. I have a place where I run outside. But I thought, you know, maybe I should join a gym because then I would add to my workout regime, maybe some weights and some other stuff. So I thought, right, I'll shop around and see what gyms they are. I found a gym in my area. It was a nice gym. It's actually quite posh. It was very, you know, English. It was in the English countryside. It looked like it had a nice coffee shop, which is so important. 
important when you're going to the gym. They had good cakes, which is so important when you're going to the gym. Uh, and, uh, and everybody looked really nice. I mean, nice uniforms, nice equipment, nice swimming pool, nice spa. I was like, if I was going to join a gym, this would be the kind I would join. I mean, not the ones where the men are grunting and they're sweaty and it smells as you pull into the car park. That would not be my style of gym. But this one, I was like, yes, I could do this one. So I go to the gym and I've signed up my membership and I pull in the car park and there's many nice cars and I go into the coffee shop and there's all these lovely people that all seem nicely dressed and then I walk through a set of doors that changed my whole impression and experience of the gym. I walk through two doors that I needed to go through in order to be able to use any of the equipment or go in the swimming pool. I walk through the two doors of the changing room to find that it was a communal female locker room. And all of a sudden, the people that looked very nice in the coffee shop were half naked behind these doors. And all of a sudden, I was like, I don't think this is the kind of gym for me. I mean, where is the personal changing cubicle? I mean, where are the curtains to shield my eyes from things I really don't need to see at 8 a.m. in the morning? And, and, and more than that, I have my children with me, and my children did not need to see some of those things. And so I began to be very disturbed that this posh gym with these nice people all of a sudden behind these closed doors became this kind of everybody take your clothes off and get changed in front of each other like that's normal. <laughs> I don't particularly want to see certain things and I don't particularly want to be seen. And as I was in there, I realized the very part of the gym that I did not like is the very part of the church I don't like. Because God has designed this whole thing that we do life together. He's designed the church that we plant and we stick around long enough that we're all going to see each other at some stage in the journey in some state of undress. We're going to see each other for good and for bad. We're going to see each other when things are going well and when things are going terrible. We're going to see each other when the marriage is great and when the marriage is awful. And as much as you try and cover yourself and pretend everything's fine, the fact is that in the communal locker room of God's church, someone's going to see something at some point. And usually it's that very reason why I left the gym and that very reason why people leave the church. Well, I'm just going through some stuff and I don't want anyone to know. So I'm just going to check out for six months. Well, you know what? Me and my wife, we're not getting on right now. And I don't want anyone to ask me an awkward question. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to another church where we are anonymous. Hello. Where we can disappear into the crowd. And we'll just go into that crowd over there because I would rather that than someone see me in an exposed state in the place where I've got this cool reputation going on. But see, God didn't say that you could move around when you're going through seasons that you don't like. He said, planted, you will flourish, which means you have to stay put, which means you have to get used to the communal locker room called the church. Every single one of us, God designed it that way. And if you don't believe me, then you can read in John 15 verse 1 where it says this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain. Everybody say remain. remain. 
It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So let me illustrate my point. From behind the screens comes a tree. How awesome. Now last year, Justin was my slave girl. This year, he is my tree. I'm glad that every time I come, he gets a job. I don't want to feel that Justin is unemployed, so I come and I re-employ him every other year. And so you are a tree this year. You have graduated to be a tree. All right. Here's what the Bible's saying, okay? It uses the picture of God as a gardener, okay? And what it says is that every single one of us, every single one, it says, are going to be pruned. <laughs> Everyone, okay? So straight away, you know that this is a communal thing. It doesn't say the naughty people are gonna get pruned. Hello? The bad types, yes, they're gonna get pruned. No, he says, even if you're good, even if your life is sweet, even if you are super, super top scoring righteous person, you are still gonna get chopped. Why? Because he wants you to bear more fruit and he can't put more fruit on you unless he cuts some stuff back on you. And so he's gonna prune us all. Everybody say all. all. Which means the person to your left is gonna get, the person to your right is gonna get, the person in the middle is gonna get. So we're all gonna feel the ouch which is good, right? Because we're all in the same boat. Now, this is what he says. He says, now I am the branch. You are the branch. You're coming off the branches. You're, you're this pit, the foliage. And what I want to do is I'm going to cut you all. I'm going to trim you all. I'm going to trim that bad attitude in that person to the left. And I'm going to deal with that confession problem in the person to the right. I'm going to help you in your marriage be a better husband and stop saying those things that are destroying your relationship. I'm going to help you in your giving and I'm going to correct you in the tithe and the, and the way you run your finances. I'm going to help you and I'm going to speak to you about the way that you need to actually be planted and stop moving around and shaking it all about. And God's going to come and He's going to deal with us. On That's the plan, okay? Because what His plan is, is that we all get pruned together. So, so anytime when you feel ouch, it's okay because the someone nearby that feels exactly the same way and, and that's why you remain in him and we're all in this together but this is what the church do they're like oh my gosh I know that God is going to challenge me about that stinking attitude see this is why I need to join a gym <laughs> so what I'm going to do because I feel my marriage is going to be challenged and this thing in me is going to be challenged so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take my little self over here and I'm going to say to God give me a private deal I want to be changed over here. I don't, want, I don't want them to know. I don't want to tell the pastor. I don't want to go to a life group. Hello, talk about even more changing in front of each other. I mean, I can't hide it in front of 10 people. So no chance am I going to a life group. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want people to know. I, I, marriage counseling, no way, no how. I know we're nearly killing each other, but I don't want anyone to know it. I'd rather our marriage is a disaster than ask for help. So we go over here. But the Bible says when you do that, what happens to this is it dies. So instead of taking the risk of someone seeing you and taking the risk of someone knowing you're changing, instead of taking the risk of just this little thing here, getting addressed and staying attached so that something new can grow, you would rather let your pride take you all the way to be detached. So the very thing that God's trying to help, you now kill. God said, remain in me. In other words, this is a communal deal. You've got to stay even though you're being pruned. You've got to keep attached even though you're being pruned. You can sit down and you can take those dangerous things away from me. <laughs> Think about it. 
Think about it. Think about the disciples. Think about how Jesus was with his disciples. I don't know whether you think it's cool to be a disciple or not, but I tell you, men in here, if you were a disciple, you had to have a big capacity to be corrected because Jesus had no time for taking them off in a corner and kind of doing a whole private counseling session and this whole, you know, I know this has hurt your feelings that that message you just did was rubbish, but actually we're just gonna, I'm gonna reaffirm you and we're just, no, it was like, hey, that was rubbish, let's move on. Try a bit, bit harder next time. The disciples had to change all the time. They had to grow all the time because Jesus had three years with them, three years of public ministry for them to learn all they needed to learn. They were on a crash course of what it was gonna take to build the church. And so Jesus was like, I'm sorry if your feelings are hurt, but right now I have a future for you that is far bigger than your feelings feelings. And so what I need is for you to focus on that and, and then get over over this, but, but the disciples, if they'd had a problem with that, they would have never made it. They would never have gone from weak to strong. They'd have never gone from being isolated to being completely involved. They would have, they would have missed out on the destiny that God had for them had their pride got in the way. And the way I know that Jesus was like that is just you read the Gospels. I mean, he was always telling them off. And not only did he tell them off in front of people, it was recorded for all time for me to even tell you today about their tellings off. I mean, they must be sat in heaven going for crying out loud, Jesus, you could have left that one out. I mean, really, do we have to go there? Just Mark 9 alone. There's about six examples of him telling them off in front of people. It starts with Peter that's on the mount where the transfiguration takes place and Peter gets excited and he opens his mouth and he says something before he engages his brain. Anybody ever done that? Anybody other than me? The rest of you are liars. See, see, that's the thing right there illustrates the point. See, a few honest people in the room are like, yes, I open my mouth before I speak. But the rest of us are like... Because we don't know, want anyone to know that we do that stuff. Now, let's be honest. Anybody ever open their mouth before they have thought? Exactly. The whole blooming room. That's right. Because we're all human beings. And we all have that propensity to do that stuff. He opens his mouth and he says, you know, Jesus, this is an amazing moment. Let's build a camp. Jesus is like, you fool, we're not building a camp. Get down the mountain. We've got jobs to do. He gets down the mountain, bottom of the mountain in verse 17. There's a guy in the crowd. He's freaking out. The crowd are freaking out. Jesus is like, what's the problem? I left you for five minutes, boys. I went up the mountain. You can't even keep it together for five minutes. The crowd are like, there's this boy. He's got a demon. We cut him to your disciples. The disciples can't get him out. The demon out. So Jesus just turns to the disciples in front of all all the crowd and goes, you fools, you unbelieving, perverse generation. What is wrong with you? This is how it comes out. In the name of Jesus, out you come. And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, totally embarrassed. Like Jesus just did it and we couldn't do it and we've been struggling. And then it goes on to say that Jesus then comes alongside two of the disciples because he's heard their conversation that they think is in private as the saying, you know, who do you think's the greatest? Who do you think, you know, who do you think's the coolest out of us all? You know, I think it might be me. <laughs> I think I'm Jesus's favorite. And Jesus walks along. He's like, what are you talking about? They're like, nothing. He's like, yes, you are. And then tells them that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And he begins to teach them about that. And then you go on to John and he comes along to John in the same chapter. And he says to John, what's the deal? And John's like, just so you know, Jesus, I stopped this guy over here praying for this person because he's not one of us. And Jesus is like, what? What are you thinking? What are you doing? We need every prayer we can take. The guy can pray if he wants to, as long as he's praying and uh, in the name of Jesus, let him pray. And so in the short space of time, you get the picture. 
that this journey with Jesus was like, you made a mistake, come on, let's move on. Hey, pick yourself back up again. Hey, that wasn't great, but you know what? I'll teach you how to be greater. You know what? That wasn't good because he's trying to show them if we're going to reach the world for Jesus, we all need to get over ourselves. If we're going to make a difference, we all need to just let each other change. And so in the last eight minutes, I keep saying that so the men have hope that I know how to read a clock. Because, you know, girls can talk. Amen. See, I said I wanted an amen at some point. If that's the one you chose, I will take it. I'll take it. So, I'm going to give you some rules, okay? Everybody say rules. These are going to be the locker room rules for River Valley Church. I'm going to set some rules up so that actually when you go into an area in your life where you know you need to change, we all help you change in the best way possible. We all express a a, a rule of behavior that allows people to understand we get it, we know you have to change, so here's what we're going to do. And these rules come from the same rules that I would have with my children if I took them into the locker room. In fact, the first one I said a lot, two words I said all the time to my six-year-old son in the field female locker room. Don't stare. Don't stare. Don't stare. Do not stare. Look not to the left or to the right, Noah. Don't stare. I took him in the changing room and my first rule was, we're not going to stare. And in God's house, the first rule of this communal changing space is, let's not stare. When someone is going through change, do not be the creepy dude. that like tweets about it, follows it, watches the line of Instagram to see if there's any other information about it, gossips about it, tells their friends about it, points it out like, like don't be that. Because if you stare in a communal locker room at the gym, frankly, you are weird. And if you do it in God's house, so it's true there too, you're weird. I don't know what it is, but sometimes we have this strange... We can't help ourselves. Somehow it makes you feel better that they're going through stuff and you're not. Somehow it's like, oh, their marriage sucks and makes my marriage look great. Or, oh, 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 it's even worse this way. I've seen this in church a lot. When you drop your kids off at childcare and you see that there's some kids that are more dysfunctional than yours, you're like, yes, I'm going to stare right now at your dysfunctional children because it makes me feel so good about my little angels. Don't stare. Let's not make each other more uncomfortable than we need to be. Let's make the house of God a locker room where when you come in and you're going through stuff, we all get that we're all going through stuff. And so we're not going to make it harder for you. We're not going to not sit next to you. We're not going to ignore you because we feel awkward about what's going on in your life. We're not going to stop ringing you or inviting you for dinner because you're going through stuff. We're just going to love one another and we're not going to stare. Don't stare. So many people that leave the church because they feel that they've been isolated because of what they're going through. Because one of their kids has got an issue or an addiction. So they're like, I don't even know how to talk to you about that anymore. So I kind of back off and watch from a distance. No, don't, don't do that to each other. Don't stare. Secondly, second rule. How about when we are in God's house and we know people are going through change and we know that all of us are going to go through seasons of change. How about we provide cover? 
How about we come armed with prayer cover? How about we come armed with love that covers? How about we come armed like with a spiritual towel in our bag? A spiritual towel in our, in our car that says, you know, today, whoever it is, God, that you point out to me, I need to provide cover for, I promise, God, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to believe for them. And you know what? I might even sow financial seed into them. I'm going to send them a signal that, you know what? I, I see you. I, I don't need to ask you lots of questions, but I'm going to provide cover for you. I'm going to be a brother to you. Some of you men in here, you need to be a brother to your brothers. You need to provide cover for your brother. You need to say, hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't need to know what's going on, but why don't we get coffee together? Why don't we hang out together? You know, those conversations are life-saving. When he's about to think of leaving his wife or he's about to do something like have an affair or he's about to do something that's a financial disastrous call or he's about to do something that he's thinking, no one cares, nobody even sees me, nobody's bothered about me. He's contemplating things that you don't even know, but by you just saying, hey, how about getting a coffee? You just intercepted something that would have been a disaster for his kids and his family. You intercepted because you were willing to provide some cover. That's what the house of God is all about. Let's bring a towel. Let's bring a towel of provision. Bring a towel of prayer. Bring a towel of grace. Because one day you're going to need it. And what you sow, you reap. Third thing that you need to remember when you're in the changing room, you need to remember this. If you want to go to the next place, so in the gym, if I want to go in the pool, I have to get changed. What I'm currently wearing is not appropriate for the water I want to enter. And if you can remember that when you're in the middle of change, that if I go get counsel, if I go get help, if I stay planted when I want to run, if I make sure that I open this up to the safest people, if I make sure that I pray this through, if I make sure that I do change, if I do say I'm sorry, then maybe I'm going to get to the next location quicker. Maybe I'm going to get to the next place quicker. Because everybody, here's what you've got to realize, everybody that's in that changing room is changing because they want to go somewhere. They're changing because they've got a desire to be in a different environment and God's house wants to change you for the next environment he has for you. For the next environment he has for you, he wants you to change in the way you handle your finances so that he can take you into a new place of prosperity. He wants you to change in the way that you speak over your children so that he can take you into a new position of leadership. He wants you to change in the way that you handle your home and run your marriage because he wants to take you into a new place of enjoyment and life and vitality. The changing room is purposeful. It's not painful if you can see the purpose. Once you see the purpose, it's worth the change. And some of you have lost sight of the next destination that if you'll change, you get to go in. And you need to remind yourself, if I get changed, I get to go there. It's worth it. I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me. The final thing I want to say, and this is super important, so don't be distracted. And particularly if you're on church staff here, or particularly if you've been in any leadership in the church, and for you as a congregation, this is a thing that actually, you know, I'd, if this had happened in my church, I wouldn't be able to be the lead pastor of my church. And the last rule I want to give you is this. Do not take photographs. If you were to go into a gymnasium, 
you would see those signs everywhere in the changing room. Don't take photographs, no cell phones allowed, no images because of child protection and all of that stuff that we now have. But I want to say spiritually, don't take photographs of people whilst they're changing. Because here's what I want to say. One time in my church, I was a kid volunteering. And then I changed and I became a teen that thought I knew better than everybody else. And then I became someone that served up front in the worship team and sometimes I had a cocky attitude. And then I started to preach and teach and I'm sure sometimes I taught stuff that wasn't even in the Bible. (laughs) The church was my place where I was changing in front of the congregation. And now at 41 years of age, I'm their senior pastor with my husband. But had they taken a photograph of me back here with my stinking attitude, or taken a photograph of my husband when he was the youth pastor that was all the laughs and jokes all the time, and took that picture and said, that's all you are to me. Then when he opens the word in church to bring a word now as senior pastor, If they took a photograph, they've frozen him in time, which means they can't receive from what God now is doing in and through his life. And the same goes in every church, in every staff. Do not freeze people in time. Some of you are going through a tough time right now. But if the church will put their cameras away and allow you to evolve, then it means that they won't rob you of the future that God wants you to have in the house. Okay, so you screwed up two years ago, but we're not gonna keep the photograph on the shelf. We're gonna say you're changing. We're gonna say you're growing. We're gonna say you're evolving, which means there's still a future for you, which means there can be still ministry for you, which means there can still be opportunity for you because we promise to put our camera down. Some people in this room right now are gonna end up being a lead pastor to your life, but all you see them as right now is maybe someone who works with the kids or someone who works in youth, but you know God's gonna evolve them and grow them and develop them, and He wants you to have the joy of that ministry in your house. Oftentimes I meet people and they've left the church to go find ministry somewhere else because their church can't receive them because all they can see is what they used to be. But let's build a environment where we don't take photographs of each other because we know that's not the end destination. God's still doing something with you. God's still changing you. You know, many people talk about David as a giant killer, but you know what? That's not who he was. Something he did. And that's cool. But that wasn't the definition of who he was because he was known as a man after God's own heart. He was so much more than a stone slinger. But if you freeze him in time at the one moment that you think, yeah, that's you, you'll never receive from him all the other stuff that God had in his heart to do. All across the room, let's stand to our feet. Time's gone, but I just want to end by just taking us into a moment just to focus, just to pray. So just close your eyes wherever you are. And here's what I want to say as your eyes are closed. Hey, are you changing right now? Are you going through some stuff or is there some stuff you know you need to change in? Maybe you've been avoiding it. Maybe you've been thinking about checking out for a season. Maybe you're like, I don't really want anyone to know about that. And today I pray a grace would fall on you 
to know that God is for you, that God means good things towards you, that God has a covering grace that He will put on you, but you've got to be willing to remain in Him. All across the room, as eyes are closed, you'd be saying, yeah, I'm going through some stuff. I'm going through some changes. God, help me. God, help me remain in You. God, be my cover. Just lift your hands right where you are. Come on, that's the first sign to God of, hey, my role's changing. Hey, hey, my mind's shifting. Shifting needs shifting. Hey, my heart needs to expand. Hey, I, I need help in this area of my life, God. Hey, hey, I'm transitioning in some stuff, God. I need that help. Come on, all across the room. If you can't lift your hand, then you can't admit the change. It starts with a hand. Sometimes it just starts with a hand. It's between you and God. Your marriage is worth you putting your hand up as a man and saying, I'm going to change. Your children are worth you putting your hand up and saying, I'm going to be a better mom. It's worth you saying, yeah, I'm going to change, God, for my future. I want that future. Father, you see these hands across the room. God, these are hands not to me, but to you. They're hands that are saying, that are being bold enough and brave enough to say, God, I want to remain in you. I want to change from glory to glory in you. I want to change so I can be a better wife, a better husband, so I can be a better father, a better mother, so I can be a better leader, a better teacher, a better pastor, a better preacher, so I can be a better writer, a better educator. God, I want to change in every area that you ask me to. So God, I commit with this hand again today to your communal changing room. Lord, at times when I've not liked it and at times when I've tried to avoid it, God, I pray you give me the strength and the courage to embrace it, knowing that whilst I am in the house changing, I am safe. I am held by you. I am remaining in you and therefore you are remaining in me. God, give grace, give strength, give a, give a sense of courage to every person in this room today to receive the changes that they need to receive in your house. In Jesus' name I ask. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Just keep your eyes closed for one moment. It's just one more thing that I want to do. If you're in this room today, you're in this room today, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. I don't mean that you don't come to church because you know you can come to church and not know Him as your Lord and Saviour. I mean, He's not in charge of your life. I want to offer you the greatest change which is moving from a place of not knowing Him to knowing Him. Moving from a place of of being distant from God to being close to God. But it happens with a response in your heart that says, I wanna change, I've tried it on my own. I, I wanna change, I wanna become a believer. Maybe you're backslidden in here today and you are so far away from God, but nobody knows that everybody thinks you're cool, but you're not cool. And a message like this lends itself to a moment for you just to say, I admit that's where I am. I don't know God or I'm very far away from Him. There's no shame in this moment. So as the church have got their eyes closed, if you're saying either one of those things, today I want to change that. And I simply want you to just lift your hand. Say, that's me today. I want to to give my heart to Jesus or I want to come back to Him. I I don't want to be backslidden. I don't want to be away from Him anymore. Come on, all across the room, down here and over here and over here. Come on, this moment is for you. Over here. This is why I came. Over here and over here and over here. Come on, hands going up everywhere. Anybody else that's saying, that's me today, grab your moment. Don't be embarrassed. Don't hold back. Grab your moment. This is your life that you get to change in this moment. You get to make a change for your future in this moment over here at the side and over here down the middle. Come on, just stick your hand up high. Be proud of that decision. Say, yep, I'm doing it. I'm doing it because all of heaven's applauding it. There's a whole row of people down here and at the back over here. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. What you're doing now is you're saying, I'm changing, I'm changing management. I'm letting God take over, over here and over here. Just, you can keep sticking them up, I'll see them. Over here, over here. Okay, all those that just raised your hand. Everybody else's eyes are closed. This is your moment. Just stick your hand up one more time high. Everybody that just raised a hand, because we're gonna pray. How awesome is this? How awesome is this? I think there's probably about 30 hands in the room. Stick your hand up high. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for you right now in this moment. And I want you to repeat after me what I pray. And I want all the church to do it with me because we're all in this together. So I'm gonna pray and then you repeat after me. Dear Jesus, today I come and I give you my life. I change over from me being in control to giving you control. I ask you to forgive my sins and give me a new beginning. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for changing me. With you, the best is yet to come. So I receive you, I acknowledge you as my Lord, and I begin my new adventure of changing into all you've called me to be. Amen and amen. Let's give these people a round of applause. Awesome. Love you.